and it's Sophie on the Levant X podcast. This is the political segment and we have some very interesting guests with us today. I don't really want to call them guests. They are part of the Levant X team and we are calling this the Levant X roundtable. So for this special, we're going to be looking into the US sanctions that have currently been placed on some certain individuals in Lebanon, US sanctions that have been placed on Iran, and if the Trump administration is going to leave office and Biden takes over, what is going to happen? So on the show with us today, we have Oliver Marsden. Oliver is a journalist. He is English and he lives in Lebanon. Uh, we are taking his perspective, which is a foreign perspective, which we find quite interesting, a little bit on the pro-Biden side. So for all of you uh, Biden supporters, let's see what Oliver's got to say today. On the second hand, we have Luai Faoud. Luai Faoud is also a journalist. He writes for Levant X and more, <clears throat> excuse me. And he is Lebanese, but living in London. And then there is myself who is half Lebanese, half English, hoping to make sure this uh, conversation does stay PC and uh, not too volatile. So um, Oliver, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Thank you, Sophie. Hi. Luai, do join. Hi Sophie, thank you for having us. Thank you very much for both of you making some time. Things are, things are very up in the air at the moment. Do we think uh, Trump is going to stay in office or do you think there is going to be a transfer of power? Let's start there. Um, I believe there will be a transfer of power. I mean, Trump has made it clear that he believes these elections, um, I mean, were rigged. He believes that a lot of, there's been a lot of, um, I mean, a lot of, like, you know, mishappenings happening in this election. He's obviously not happy with the result, um, but he still has roughly two months left in office, two to three months left in office. So I still believe that he could make very big decisions which could have a huge impact on the Middle East. Um, I honestly wouldn't be surprised with anything that Trump comes up with in his remaining time in office, um, especially regarding Iran, regarding Iran's proxies in the region like Hezbollah. Um, yes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop you there. Oli, What's your take on this? I mean, I agree with Luai in the sense that the unpredictability of Trump is going to be interesting for the next couple of months. I mean, he's had his policy of maximum pressure on Iran, and I don't imagine he's going to take his foot off the gas for the next two months. But, you know, I think, I think you know, Biden is the president-elect, and I'm interested to see how, what Biden does. I don't think there's going to be a massive shift in US foreign policy. Um, but I believe that when it comes to Iran, he's going to definitely try and get an Iran back to the negotiating table, the JCPOA, you know, he's going to, they're going to get those talks going again. And I think what is interesting for me is how this is going to affect Saudi Arabia and how Saudi Arabia feels. And, and it's, it's, it's going to worry Saudi Arabia. And so Biden is going to have to play a very interesting game here where he, he kind of, gets Iran back to the table, but he still shows a tough stance. And yet that's going to scare Saudi Arabia. And so he has to kind of appease Saudi Arabia as well. And then obviously, you know, I think a Biden president, president presidency would be great for, well, not great, but it would be better for the Palestinian people. I'm going to chime in here now. I've been having some interesting discussions with people on ground in Lebanon. Some um, are American citizens, shall we say, and did actually do mail-in ballots. 
Now, a lot, uh, it, it is quite split, I have to say, between the people I know that voted for Trump and voted for Biden. And I kept asking the ones that voted Trump why. And uh, Luai, I think you can chime in here and then um, Oliver can give his piece uh, if, if you would like to challenge any of your statements. However, a lot of people were saying the reason why they would like Trump, not, even though they weren't necessarily Trump supporters per se, is because he's going to keep the pressure on Hezbollah and he's going to be rid of them. Now, is it, can this change even if there is a transfer of power? I mean, whatever's been passed through Congress or Senate, doesn't it have to stay? So the thing is, I mean, I do agree with um, Oliver when he says that there probably won't be, you know, a drastic change in US policies towards the Middle East. Um, what I fear and what many Lebanese who voted Trump fear is that we fear maybe a sort of leniency towards Iran, so where Biden will be more lenient towards Iran and sort of, you know, um, minimize the pressure on them, minimize the pressure on their allies in the Middle East. Hezbollah right now is the biggest problem in Lebanon. Hezbollah, along with the corrupt ruling class, the, the, the establishment which has been in power for the past three decades, Hezbollah and the establishment, which, 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 I mean, this establishment, get, I mean, is protected by Hezbollah's arms. I mean, it's not in Hezbollah's interests for this ruling class to come to an end because Hezbollah lives on a weak state. Hezbollah thrives on a weak central government where they can have, um, you know, where Iran has hegemony through Hezbollah, where Iran has control and power. I mean, again, going back to my point on 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 what I mean, what do we expect Trump to do? Um, Trump, I mean, a lot of a lot of what's funny is that a lot of Hezbollah supporters were were betting on Biden, thinking that Biden was going to come to the White, you know, when the election comes to the White House, um, you know, strike an agreement with Iran on the first day and throw Israel into the sea, as if he, I mean, we all know that Israel is top priority when it comes to the United States. Um, but again, it's it's this fear that you know will Biden's leniency with Iran, if he's anything like Obama lead to more, you know, I mean, will it give Iran a chance in the Middle East to sort of to keep pushing for its agenda? Will it give Hezbollah a chance? What are your so, thoughts on this, Oli? I mean, I can completely understand what Luai is saying. I mean, Hezbollah, depending who you speak to in Lebanon, but I think a lot of young people on the streets, especially, you know, involved in the revolutionary movement would agree that Iran, Hezbollah, sorry, is an issue here in Lebanon. And, you know, not to jump ahead to sanctions, but, you know, Basile and Hezbollah's relationship, you know, they're sort of using each other and Basile hides their weapons and Hezbollah hides his corruption. And yeah, I, I can understand the wariness of Biden being lenient to Iran and therefore vis-a-vis -vis his their proxies in the region like Hezbollah. Netanyahu's gearing up... Uh... For, for some sort of war, Hezbollah's um, now gearing up for some sort of war. There's this tension that's happening in the region. I mean, potentially, I mean, if there was to be any, um, an outbreak of war right now, it would basically be on a regional scale. So you'd have, um, is, Israel would be faced with um, its fronts with Lebanon and Syria and possibly Gaza. So it would be fighting on multiple fronts. Um, Israel the other day, um, was saying that Hezbollah has managed to infiltrate the Golan Heights and there's a, you know, a, a, a bigger number of, of Hezbollah fighters present in the Golan Heights. You have the U.S. basing itself in the, um, 
in the uh, near the Strait of Hormuz in a in a in a you know what many people are saying is they're preparing to attack Iran. I mean they're 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 preparing for a strike. So the region right now, I mean, what's happening is is worrying. Um, a lot of people, if you spoke to a lot of Lebanese people, a lot of people in the in the region, they'll tell you this is probably the only way we can actually get end Iran's influence in the region, we can end Iran's control, this is the only way we're going to get rid of Hezbollah, this is the only way we're going to get rid of um, all of Iranian, all of Iran's proxies. And just touching on the sanctions briefly, the sanctions have proven effective in the region. I mean, it's sort of, it's loosening Iran's grip in Iraq. What we see happening in Iraq is, is it's pushing Iran back slightly. In Syria, Israel and the United States have been bombing Iranian bases you know, in Syria for months, in, you know, for months now. Um, will this completely, you know, end Hezbollah? I don't think so, if a war was to happen. The, uh, there's a misunderstanding that when Hezbollah supporters hear us say, you know, Hezbollah is this Iranian proxy, and we don't want it controlling Lebanon, they think that we're saying we basically want to completely um, dismantle Hezbollah and we don't want that. No, the, the problem with Hezbollah is, is that they're a heavily armed militia. They, they have huge influence in Lebanon through their arms and they're working for a non-Lebanese agenda. They're working for an Iranian agenda. They're not working for Lebanon. Our problem with Hezbollah isn't, their, isn't the fact that they just exist. It's, it's what they're doing. It's basically their, like uh, Oliver said, it's, you know, protect my arms and I'll protect your corruption. Well, Oliver, how long do you think that this can go on for without any sort of outside uh, interference? It's this little game that's been going on for years upon years, as, as, as you mentioned, you know, I do this for you, I scratch your back, you scratch my back. But we have got to a situation where it's a bit late in the day and America's saying no one's scratching anyone's back and if anyone's going to scratch anyone's back, it's going to be mine. So, you know, when do you think we're really going to see this uh, start to manifest? I mean, we're seeing some sanctions here and sanctions there. We're seeing pressure here, pressure there. We have Macron talking. We had um, a French uh, envoy in the country. Th there's a lot of things yeah. going on. There's, th there's always movement, but as, uh, as, the, as the Lebanese population is saying, we're still waiting. You kind of hit on, on the nail on the head. So the French envoy has been here. And tomorrow, Macron is having a meeting to see how to go ahead with Lebanon. You know, he, they may slap on more sanctions. Uh, and I think what I've noticed from being here on the ground, and, from, and I haven't been here a huge amount of time, but it's kind of, Macron is trying to do a carrot and stick thing, you know, get cabinet sorted, get things sorted, and you get some money. But that hasn't worked. And then so America is trying stick and stick, and it's just, sanctions and sanctions on on Iran, on, on people, and then on Lebanese politicians associated with Hezbollah. But that doesn't seem to be working because Lebanese politicians don't care. And what I've noticed is they don't, you know, whatever seems to be happening, they, they, they just, they've got thicker skin. They don't seem to care. And it's just business as usual in Lebanon. I can just jump in. I, I disagree with Oliver when he says that they don't care. Gibran Basile certainly does care. He's been blacklisted. Sorry, by you're Hezbollah, to put it bluntly, Hezbollah has a lot of dirt on all of their allies, especially the Free Patriotic Movement, which Jabran Basir currently leads and which his father-in-law, current President Michel Aoun, previously led. Hezbollah, Jabran Basir is stuck in between 
am I going to do what the United States wants me to do and break off my lines from Hezbollah and corner Hezbollah and sort of lift this Christian, um, this, you know, this Christian cover up on Hezbollah? Because what Hezbollah has done is Hezbollah has managed to gain support from different sects in the country to give themselves legitimacy to say that we're a legitimate force and we fought Israel and we're fighting Pekfiris in the region and we have support from not only the Shias but from the Sunnis and from the Druze and from the Christians. If you were to hold a referendum today in Lebanon and ask all the Lebanese people living in Lebanon, residing in Lebanon or abroad, do you support what Hezbollah is doing? I guarantee you that the majority will say no. Hezbollah is 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 betting on this support from Gibran Basile and from his non-Shia allies to give him that sort of legitimacy that he needs. As long as you don't have that accountability, then sanctions, no matter how much they change, it does certainly put the pressure on these politicians. And I think sooner or later, people are going to be held accountable. Sooner or later, we are going to see politicians behind bars. And maybe, <laughs> maybe when the time comes, we can then we can have another discussion. <laughs> I agree it puts pressure on, of course, Basile cares. I mean, sanctions from America on him, obviously they hurt him. He loses all legitimacy with the West. He wants to, you know, he wants to take over from his father and all. He wants to become the head of the FPM and then, and he wants to become president here in Lebanon. Well, arguably he wants to become president here. All in so one these, if he wants a political future outside of Lebanon, he has to cut ties with Hezbollah. But he's never yeah. going to do that because the US don't understand Lebanese politics doesn't work if you just get rid of Hezbollah. Like, that's not going to happen. It's unrealistic of this United States to think that. You know, putting that pressure, the Trump administration has done, putting that pressure on Iran and therefore Hezbollah, as I say, backs them into a corner. It, it enables their supporters because they're like, you know, it, it fires up their supporter base. Hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna chime in here, and I want to really play. I, I want to spark this even further because if you're going to if you put those questions to me, boys, I mean the first thing I'm going to say to you, I don't think America has anybody's interests in mind apart from their own. Um, so them putting pressure on Hezbollah or putting pressure on Shabron Basile or putting pressure on Iran is only for self gain in some ways. So until someone in Lebanon, some politician in Lebanon does offer up a hand that presents itself a lot more beautiful than others, uh, I feel like America will bite. So currently, America, in my opinion, is um, got a stick, as Oli said, and is poking. And it's like, oh, how are you going to react? Okay, and if I do this, how are you going to react? Okay, and if I do this, how are you going to react? So, I mean, how long, how long are we going to go along with this? How are we going to react without actually the Lebanese population standing up and saying, I've had enough of this little chess game that you've got going on? Because at the moment, we can't eat, we can't breathe, we can't, we can't do anything. And Israel comes out yesterday and is asking a legal team with, with a legal team asking flights to be banned and stopped and landing in Beirut airport. So we're going to get to a point where we can't even get out. So I mean, how long are we going to sit around and watch America poke Iran for Iran to poke Hezbollah for Gibran Basile to make a decision where he's going to flip flop? And then Hadid is just having a party at home. I'm, I'm really not too sure what's going on here, man. Going okay. I mean, one 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 point at a time. So you mentioned when are the Lebanese going to stand up and say enough is enough. That's exactly what the Lebanese people did last year in October. And the revolution was largely peaceful. It was, it was, it was unprecedented. It was something like the country has never seen before. People from up and down the country took to the streets and were protesting. 
the everybody knows in Lebanon who went to the streets and started threatening these protesters, started intimidating them, started bullying them, and basically um, demonized this uprising. It was Hassan Nasrallah, it was the head of Hezbollah. I mean, Nasrallah, a few days later, came out on, on television and told everyone, you know, embassies are involved. And he decided. Basil said that it was paid for by America. He decided to look at the whole uprising as one huge, uh, just as this one big conspiracy. So let's let's say that you know there were some people in the protests that were I don't know um, you know affiliated. They were get, they were getting support from some embassies, or they were working with some you know foreign intelligence intelligence agency, or they had their own interests. But the overwhelming majority of people who took to the streets wanted justice they wanted stability they wanted the state you know functioning state institutions everybody was just thinking about how we're going to basically end this okay going back to the us you said that the us doesn't really have any country interests at heart you have a reality that you're having to deal with that you're forced to deal with as lebanon or any other country in the region that is part of this proxy war you're either going to align yourself with the US-led alliance, or you're going to align yourself with the Iranian-led alliance. To think otherwise, in my opinion, is completely naive. Or to say that, you know, Lebanon can just look at Iran and say, you know what, we want to just get rid of Hezbollah. We don't want Iran getting involved in our affairs because Iran is present in Lebanon through Hezbollah. Hezbollah isn't a Lebanese organization. Hezbollah is made up of Lebanese men, but they're fighting for an Iranian cause. They're working for an Iranian agenda. So Lebanon is stuck. Lebanon has has two options. There is no third option. Things aren't going to happen overnight. Okay, it's been about a year now. You've raised so much awareness around the country, where people who used to support these mainstream sectarian parties have given up their support for these for these politicians and for these parties. Um, you've seen um, you've seen candidate lists backed by these secular. Um, civil groups such as like in Lebanese universities win in student elections. That's unprecedented. That's never happened before. I mean, we had the American University of yeah. Beirut, we've had LA, you've, I mean, you have, you're talking about some of the most prestigious universities in the entire Arab region where you have these secular groups winning for the first time um, opposed to these sectarian parties. I think that that means something. A lot of people will say, no, that doesn't. I think that means something. And I think that that's just the beginning of something really big that's happening in the country. But again, you have 30 years, 30 years of corruption, 30 years of... You've had four years of Trump and this happening, and nothing seems to have changed here. It's the same old story. You were saying that, like, oh, you couldn't mention uh, yeah. Hezbollah before in the protests, and there were, you know, there were effigies of Nasrallah, and that was true. But recently, you know, this summer, the year anniversary, and since, you know, there was the protest uh, at the Speaker of Parliament, Nabi Abdelhi's house outside, his supporters attacked the protesters. So therefore, they, they then had to have a, a female-only protest go to his house in the hope that they wouldn't be, I mean, it was just women, because then they wouldn't be attacked. You've had, you've had allegedly uh, Hezbollah supporters shooting live rounds at protesters on August the 8th. So and so, I would I would sort of disagree that you can now talk about Hezbollah and Amal in that way, and they've lost a load of support. And I think that recently it feels like their support base has been kind of growing, and there is a growing sectarianism in Lebanon. 
we can sit and we can analyze from abroad and then we do actually have the reality on the ground of, of what we what the people are living in and yeah. i think you know when oliver was saying uh we're here we've been here for the last four years and we do know what it feels like and nothing has changed here no matter how many how much pressure he's put on and now what just a couple of days before the elections or just after the elections he starts to crack on the pressure to say that he's sort of done something even the israeli peace deal only happened a couple of months before his election so i mean we did see four years of nout and now in the last five minutes decided he wants to put us all into sixth gear and send us flying down the autobahn um to reach some form of a result which is never going to happen him slapping sanctions on brazil is a bit too late when when the streets were screaming, hella, hella, ho, last year, why didn't he do it then? I mean, th there is so much to debate here of what is going to come next. And I think where Oli's saying how he's in, intrigued, not necessarily excited about Biden um, stepping up is because, is, is Biden going to do what every single predecessor did, which is zero? Or is he going to, you know, puff out his chest and say, no, I'm going to continue what Trump started five minutes ago and actually see if we can get results in four years. Because on, on a MENA scale, um, I, Oli, I want you to chime in because you did mention Saudi Arabia, but on a MENA scale, I don't really see what um, America's fingers or what, what, what they've been up to. There, there's really no solid evidence apart from Yemen being smashed and, and slaughtered, no one doing anything about that there. Gaza is being smashed every other day. The Palestinian, there's just so much going on. And to say that Trump is the savior, I think is a little bit scary. To, to jump on that last sentence, like Trump is the savior. I mean, when you think about Saudi Arabia, I mean, he basically completely like backed MBS, Mohammed um, bin Salam, on when he, after the murder of Kamal Khashoggi, Trump basically completely backed the, the ruling part, you know, rulers in Saudi Arabia. I mean, they've got a horrible human rights record. They basically murdered a dissident journalist. You know, um, there goes any ticket to Saudi Arabia for me. But um, like, I don't agree with Trump's policy with Saudi Arabia. I mean, the, as you mentioned, the war in Yemen. I mean, it's it's atrocious. I am hoping that. Talking about you're talking about what you're saying within the region, I'm hoping that Biden has a, has a harder stance against Saudi Arabia, less you know closing up to them. Because I also think you know Biden has has Biden and Harris are very very pro-Israel. I mean they've been pretty vocal about that forever. Kamala Harris at the APAC you know conference in a few years back. She talked about, you know, the, the strong ties in the un, unwavering relationship with Israel. But what I found interesting, and, and she talks about that, that the importance of the Israeli defense, like um, the, the Iron Dome and, and um, Sling. And, and that was a bit worrying. But, you know, in a, what they did say is what they really do believe in the two state solution. And, I, you know, I think that's a good thing. I think, you know, Trump moving the embassy to Jerusalem, his 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 pressure, um, his, uh, you know, his sort of complete cozying up to Netanyahu, and it just gave that sort of quite right-wing Israeli government, it gave them legitimacy, legitimacy to, to annex more of the West Bank. They are breaking UN resolutions, which the US signed on. So 
I don't see that any of that as a positive for the Middle East and for the region. Yes, okay, the Abraham Accords, one could argue the normalization of relationships between the UAE and Bahrain with, with Israel is, is maybe a good thing, you know, things need to change. But like, just because my mate round the corner in the, in the apartment block thinks I'm okay, like, <laughs> it, do, it doesn't help Lebanon in any way, those things. They're still, you know, if my, my direct neighbor is still an aggressor, it doesn't matter if the people over the road are like friends. Like, well, actually, it, it probably creates more fear in Lebanon because maybe your neighbor yeah. might have made friends, but it doesn't mean that the Palestinians that are on our doorstep, that are in Israel or in our camps, aren't going to retaliate from our lands. So I don't, um, I'm going to let Luai come in and chime in here because I'm sure he's got a lot to say because I saw him nodding away when you were saying, you know, it could be good, <laughs> you know, Israel's peace deal. So I think he's got a lot to say there, but... Can I, yeah, um, can I finish my point? Yeah, finish your point, Macron has interests in the Macron and Turkey. I mean, they're they're tied in a in a in a war right now in terms of like the you know the, the oil and gas in the Mediterranean Sea. Oh, I that. Yeah, I mean but, that's why they're renegotiating the land and maritime borders. Like Lebanon needs that yeah. money. And, How about and if I tell you? Of course, everyone's got like invested interests. Like, but more what I'm trying to say is that I think I'm as I said I'm, I'm interested to see how. No one knows what's going to happen. None of us can predict what the Biden administration is going to do. And obviously, there's not going to be a massive turn on foreign policy from the United States. They can learn a lot, I think, from the Obama administration, which was like one side at the end of the spectrum, and the Trump at the other end of the spectrum. And the Biden-Harris administration could learn a lot and could maybe help the situation and the, and the region. Sophie, you said, you know, what has Trump really done? And, and I mean... Did, where did where did he sort of take off from where Obama finished? He tore up the nuclear deal. He tore up the Iranian nuclear deal, which was a good thing. Anything that gives Iran anything anything that gives Iran anything. Oh, Oliver, anything, you can speak. <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. I have to chime in here because I do have the boys on on video, and and as soon as Luai said that tearing up the nuclear deal was uh, a good thing. Oliver nearly had uh, a heart attack. So before, Luai, Luai, before you justify yourself, Oliver, why did that, why did you have such a, a, a shocking reaction? Because uh, in the simplest sense, I, don't, I have seen no evidence of that. I've seen no evidence of it being a good thing, especially not for the, we have to remember that there are people living on the ground in Iran and, and him, him just completely crushing uh, Iran like that. Good thing about the people, yes, like regime aside, the people have been really adversely affected in Iran. And, the, and then unfortunately, times, like it is, it's, but then, and weirdly, adversely, it is, it's, his actions have kind of have made a sort of support for, amongst the people for the Iran regime, like it, it built support amongst them. And then, you know, with the, with the assassination of Qasem Soleimani in, uh, you know, just in the new year, in January, you know, there was such, that created quite a lot of support amongst the Iranian people for the regime and, and for some of these uh, movements here. 
unfortunately, when they shot down the plane, they lost that support, which is, you know, which they should have. But I, so I just to go back to, to your point, I just don't see the um, I don't see how ripping up the nuclear deal is, is was automatically like a good thing. I think with this current regime in Iran in place, okay, uh, you, you you mentioned how it how it increased their support. But how do we know? Because I mean, we know what sort of regime there is in Iran. How can we trust the Iranian regime when it says we have this overwhelming support from our people? We saw what the Iranian regime was doing to its people when they were taking to the streets and protesting. We saw, I mean, we, we, we see all the time how the Iranian government deals with protesters or with, or with the opposing view. I mean, we can't really trust. It's like, it's like us trusting Bashar al-Assad when he says, I have overwhelming support from the Syrians. We can't trust these regimes. When they I I'm not saying that, that they said that. What I'm saying is, is that the people, on the whole, most people have been really adversely affected and they're hating the regime in Iran. That is true. But there is, a there is a faction that has, it has caused some sort of like nationalist pride, you know, against the US oppressor doing this. And it causes a bit of nationalist pride. I'm not saying Iran has said that and therefore I mean that. That's what I'm, I'm not saying that. But the, it, it plays into the idea of uh, the US being this horrible capitalist Western oppressor. And, and I, I, I don't think that's good. It's not good for anyone. The, so, the, the great US, US, which is, the, you know, US, the great Satan and the great, yeah. But even though, but Hezbollah is still being paid in US dollars. So um, the thing, Iran, as, look, if you were to make, making a nuclear deal or any sort of agreement with Iran, which, which gives Iran that extra support in the region or gives Iran that, that legitimacy that they need or that they're looking for, with this current regime in Iran, with this current system in Iran, it, it doesn't work because then we're just back to, we're, we're back to, to, to Hezbollah in Iran. You know, again, I, I'm bringing Hezbollah into this because it's their, it's their main proxy in the region and it's basically, it's the main force that they that Iran is very careful about about losing, and they're trying to use Hezbollah, the Hezbollah card, in any negotiations. I mean, we've heard, we've heard from many Lebanese officials that there are under the table negotiations happening right now between the states and between Iran and between the Israelis and between. And Nasrallah the other day basically came up and and denied all of this. We can't really trust what Nasrallah says anymore. It's sad what's happening to the Iranian people. It's I mean. It, You'd have to be insane to think, you know, oh yeah, we're starving, we're starving the Iranian population and we're starving the Yemeni population, the Syrian population with, our, with these sanctions. Yeah, go Trump or go US. Of course it's sad. But what can you really do, Oliver? I mean, other than, I mean, you're putting sanctions on them. I guess the US has started resorting to more to, to, to an economic war. They're choking the Iranian regime. They're choking the Syrian regime. They're choking Hezbollah financially. They've been to war before. They've been to war before. And what has war really done? I mean, it's not, it's, it's, you can't get rid of Iran and its proxies through that way. They thought maybe sanctions will help. Maybe sanctions will work. Both sides aren't backing down. Yes, the, the, that Iranian-led axis is in a dire situation today. They can deny it all they want. They can say, no, we're, we're fine and we're still fighting to the end. But I mean, it's it's sanctions or it's or it's or it's war, and the fear that many people have today is that there is a war on the horizon. I mean, a war is on the horizon, and that's what's going to happen, unfortunately. And then we just need to see at the end what happens. Bottom line is, I don't trust Hezbollah. I don't trust you can sit down with Hezbollah and say to them, "Listen, 
you know, uh, you know, can can you maybe step down and then I'll step down and we can maybe sort of reach to this? No, Hezbollah is, is pushing for to 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 basically achieve their goals and achieve what Iran wants them to achieve in Lebanon and the region. They're a proxy. They're nothing more than an Iranian proxy. Okay. Um, uh, everyone who's listening, as you can see, uh, we, we do all work together. It doesn't mean we all think the same way. And that is why we set up the roundtable today, because we would like to bring all of these unanswered questions, these thoughts that are in the back of our minds, and try to put them on the table where we can try to have an interesting and... Um, intellectual discussion. So as you can see, there is a lot of debate here, whether I'm playing devil's advocate, whether Oliver's playing devil's advocate, or whether Luai is playing devil's advocate, we do, we, we, we all have a trail of thought. And I guess what we have managed to reach here is there are so many different avenues that can be taken. However, which one is it? And has it been taken? And is it going to work? So for everyone who's listening and whatever questions you may have, please do um, comment, send your, send your points through. Luai, as I said, and Oliver are both on the Levon X team. They will receive your questions and maybe we can set up another roundtable uh, soon to be able to tackle any comments that you may have. So I'm going to let the boys say goodbye before we could sit and debate this for another three hours. Um, so Luai. Uh, if you would like to give your handle and your Twitter handle, so if people would like to follow you later. So, um, so at Luay Faour, so that's L-O-U-A-Y-F-A-O-U-R. Um, I'm currently actually handling the 11X Twitter account, so <laughs> I'll be in charge of that. But that, that would be my Twitter or, or Instagram, um, if they like, or Facebook. So I'm available on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, and thanks for having us. Luai, thank you so much for joining in today. Oliver, over to you. Thank you, Sophie. First off, thank you, Luai. Um, I really enjoyed that. I'm not sure if I made a good point. But um, yeah, I am on Twitter. I'm at Photo Marsden. Um, and on Instagram, it is uh, at Oliver Marsden Photo. And yeah, Facebook or through Levant Hex, you can get hold of me. And yeah, thank you, Sophie. And thank you, Luai. That was fun. A lot of food for thank you. So yes, thank you very much, boys. And so it is www.levantex.com or you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and as Luai mentioned, Twitter. So if you'd like to follow me and find out what is going on, that's Eskaziri, A-S-G-H-A-Z-I-R-I. Thank you very much all for listening to us today. We'll be back soon, Thursdays, 9 a.m. Beirut time.